everybody. How you doing today? Doing okay? Good. That was better than the other guy got, so it's good. It's good. Good start. Good start. If you guys want to open your Bibles to uh, Romans 6, 14, um, we're going to start there. But I, I just want to start by giving some hope to this room and to any room that will listen to me, really. I've had the privilege of being uh, the next-gen catalyst, which, again, the title terrible, I know, but it's my title. It's what it is. And for the last month, uh, but I've been a part of the Feb Youth team for a long time. And over the last two years since the pandemic, uh, we've actually had some really cool and shocking turnarounds when it comes to the next generation. I know if you look at the media or if you're on Facebook still because you're over 35, um, and <laughs> I got one laugh. Thank you. That was good. Appreciate that. <laughs> that, that it can kind of look a little bit dark out there at times, and it can look like what is going on in the landscape of the next generation. Uh, well, this year, uh, with our retreat weekends, uh, we have Bedlam coming up in a little while, which is our junior high retreat weekend. It was a weekend that before the pandemic, we were looking at potentially closing it down. And uh, now we have 750 junior highs coming to that weekend uh, to worship and praise God and to hear the gospel and 150 on a waiting list. So uh, I don't know what God is doing in our movement right now, but youth groups in Ontario at fellowship churches are healthy and growing and word-centered and not moving anywhere outside of orthodoxy, and it is really cool to be a part of. And I get to tell you this because you are a part of that too. So that's my Feb plug. I know. I'll get to the word, I promise. But guys, honestly, like God is doing something cool in this next generation. The darker the soil, the richer the soil. Don't be afraid. Sound good? All right, let's uh, open up the Word of God here in Romans. And I'm going to be primarily sitting at the end of this text, but I just wanted to, to start us off here so we can really ramp up into what God is saying through Paul. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. What then? So shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which will lead to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin, and you become a slave to righteousness. I'm using, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you are slaves to sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from things that, are now, that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, to being set apart, and the result is eternal life. And here's the one we all remember from Awana, Sunday school, whatever. This is where we're going to sit. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's go. One of the things that I want to do this morning is really take a deep dive into that last passage. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Water. 
Water has not changed. Water sustains us, and we need water to survive. But as time moves on, we develop and grow into different technologies that allow water to go and move and do different things, right? We don't still go with our buckets on our shoulders to a well somewhere to bring it back to here. And so while water never changes, the systems and structures around water often do. The gospel never changes. Jesus never changes. But what Satan loves to do is shift the culture just enough so that the old ways of talking and thinking about the gospel actually become a barrier to the gospel. Again, to be clear, the gospel is Jesus, Son of God, came to earth, died, buried, resurrected on the third day, and still lives as king at the right hand of God. Those facts do not change. They never will. But when you say things like sin to somebody who is younger, there's just no context. The word sin doesn't mean much. And sometimes as I talk with people who are older, it's, it's not that you don't understand what the word sin is. It's that it just has kind of become a thing we say, that we're all sinners saved by grace. It almost becomes like the, uh, the website thing that was earlier. You know, he just keeps saying it over. It does mean something, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. But we just, we keep saying it and using this word. And then as we go into our regular lives, and when we're in this context, we fully understand what that means. But the moment we leave these doors, the moment we leave these walls, and somebody uh, is asking us about our faith, we kind of go back into like church mode. And sometimes what Satan has to do is not, is not change the gospel. He doesn't have to push it away. He just has to change the word. And so as I've interacted with young people, I've been a youth pastor for 13 years, um, and I talk with people outside of the, the walls of this church, God has been very kind and gracious in my ministry, and he has brought lots of students from the community into the ministries that I've been a part of, and I've got to learn from them. Uh, listen well, and you'll, you'll learn a lot about our culture. And when I say the word sin to somebody who's younger, when I, when I speak of sin or, or reference it at all, the only time somebody who is younger hears the word sin is in the context of the LGBTQ. And I want to be clear with where I stand. Not God's way. Okay? I want to be clear. But what ends up happening is if the only context they have for the word sin is LGBTQ, then when we say you, you are a sinner in need of saving, they don't think about the, the, the wholeness of what it means to sin. They don't understand how it's affecting their life. In fact, all they think of is the most egregious, religious, conservative sin. So it's not that they're unaware of sin in their lives. It's that they redefine it as something else. And I don't think that that's intentional. I think that's the culture. And so as they're describing why they don't need a savior and why they don't need to be saved from their sins, often when I'm talking to young people in their own context, they'll tell me how broken they are. They'll tell me how tired they are. They'll tell me how anxious they are. And what they don't realize is they say, well, I don't need saving from my sins but then in the very same sentence, they come back to me and say, I actually need help being saved from my sins. 
because they've redefined sins as the worst thing that we have done, they have not recognized that sin is what's destroying their soul. You see, it's funny, because all, we had to, all Satan had to do was a definition shift. What is sin? And the moment I started looking and talking to people and saying, hey, that brokenness, because brokenness is such a hip and cool word, and I don't like hip and cool things to be hip and cool, but if that's the communication, if that's the language that's being used, Jesus came to die for the brokenness of this world. The broken relationships that we have. The broken relationship you have with your family. The broken relationship you have with yourself. The image you see on screens over and over again that make you feel less and less worthy of being a child of God. And so sometimes, in using our religious language, we can often overlook the opportunity to come in and say, hey, God loves you and he died for that brokenness. Now let me talk about the church kid. I'm a church kid. Anybody here a church kid, grew up in church? God bless you, you're still here. This is great, awesome. <laughs> I'm with you, I'm here. And often for the church kid, what ends up happening is, if you've watched as I have, as an exodus of my peers have left the faith, the way that Satan has redefined sin in our lives and the way that Satan has pushed and pushed us out of the church is that he uses the right answers without the right relationship to create rebellion. Now let me explain that. We as church kids know what's right and wrong from day one, which is not a bad thing. It's not. I'm not encouraging you to not tell your kids how to do right and how to do wrong. But somewhere along the line, there needs to be a deep, personal relationship, an encounter with the one true God, and a full recognition of what that looks like. Because if you don't have that, then essentially what you've created is a hiddenness vortex. And I see this over and over again, where kids know and have defined the word sin in a very narrow and religious context. And they, they think that the way to deal with sin is to hide. And I hear it over and over again in youth groups. But they were on the leadership team. But they led Bible study. But they did this. And at the end of the day, legalism destroyed them. See, uh, I've been talking with a lot of youth pastors lately, and we're very clear what's to the left of us, right? Very clear. I think on the left, if we could just help them understand that that thing that they're feeling, you know, post-transition, post-surgery, post Break up, post whatever, that, that feeling they're feeling, Jesus has an answer for that. I actually think that's the easy one. The harder one is when the kid is sitting on this side and he is doing all the right things. He or she is doing all the right things and we just miss them. Because they've learned how to play the church game. You see, sin isn't just to the left of us, it's also to the right of us. Right? Jesus interacted with those who were, were definitely on the sin scale. They were defined as sinners. But Jesus also had deep confrontational realities with those who were to the right of him. With those who defined sin in their own way. Or those who lived under the, under the oppression of having sin defined in their own way. You see, sin is actually just an archery term. 
Maybe you don't know that. Sin just means to miss the mark. But when you, whenever we narrowly define sin, whether it's with extremes or whether it's with, with religious rules, we actually neuter the gospel. We take the gospel and we turn it into something it isn't. It often goes into either works salvation or it's just completely not good news. And so how we look at this word sin and how we take this word sin into this coming generation is very important. Wages. The wages of sin is death. I think this hit me as I was studying and learning and reading about this passage. It's so interesting. There is sin and there are these wages that lead to death. And there's something that I didn't coin this, but I heard this once, the purity death spiral. <laughs> I think, again, we're very clear that sin leads to sin leads to sin. We know about the younger brother in the prodigal story, right? We, we see and we watch as that guy wrecks his life with all the cool things, whatever that means, it wrecks his life. But on the other side, to the church, an aside, the Bible is written to insiders, not outsiders. Outsiders come in, this is beautiful for them, but it's written to insiders. But for us in the church, sometimes the way that Satan gets us isn't by the sin, but by the wages of sin. And so as we make mistakes, because you are going to be fallen until the day you die. And as we even do things intentionally, like coping through watching Netflix or scrolling on TikTok, instead of coping through scripture and coping through a relationship with Jesus, which you are going to do day in and day out. It's not the sin that takes us down, but the wages of sin. Because sin sits over here, and we've done it, and then guilt, fear, and shame come dropped on top of us. Guilt, fear, and shame wreck our souls, and sometimes, and, and, and this is true, like I heard, I had a student once whose parents said, well, a little guilt and shame might do them a little good, and I said, that is dangerous. You cannot use the moves of the enemy to create holiness. The ends do not justify the means. And I think, I think this piece right here is why a lot of young people are leaving the church. They know what their sin is. They're clear about their brokenness. They know more than their peers what it means to follow Jesus and not follow Jesus. And instead, when they confess their sins to one another, if they do, instead of receiving healing, they sometimes can receive shame, guilt, and condemnation. And I'm saying this with love because I know that I've been a culprit. I've done that to other people. I'm not saying this to heap guilt and shame even more than there already is in churches today. But sometimes, as we walk through with somebody who is sinning, it be, we get afraid, right? We freak out, and we're like, oh, no, oh, no, they're sinning. Oh, no, what do I do? Just everybody, just stop. And we recognize what's to the left of us, but we don't recognize what's to the right of us. Are we aware, are we as aware of the... Of the duh, are we as aware of what happens and, and what death comes from drinking and drugs? Are we as aware of that for guilt, for fear, and for shame? See, the passage that I got to read before leading up to this was about slavery. 
you could actually do all the right things but still be enslaved under the law. That's Paul's whole exposition. He goes, you have a lot when you have the law. The law is great. It's so great that you knew what you were doing, but it still exposed the exact same thing. Whether you have the law or you don't have the law, you're still sinning. We're still in that same place before God. And like I said, I'm not saying this to heap guilt or shame on you, but I'm actually hoping that in this, that as we sit in church on Sunday morning, and we've carved out time to be a part of this community, which is beautiful and good, that this actually causes us to lean into a position of humility. This brings us to a place where we go, hey, God, I am in need of you as much as everybody else that I interact with. God, the same grace that I hope comes just through faith from you, I can pass along to my kids and my grandkids. Let me talk a little bit about death. If you go back to Genesis, um, in Genesis, you know, the serpent says, you know, you eat this, you won't surely die. And you know what's weird about that is that, like, they don't actually die right there. Have you ever noticed that? It's not like, and you ate the fruit, dead. Like, it's not... That's not the way the story actually goes. Instead, they live a long time, and, and God explains to them what it looks like to live in a world surrounded by death. Things are going to be hard, and things are going to be difficult. And I think sometimes in our churches, as we watch people leave, and we watch people prodigal, that we don't think that where they're headed is death. I'm going to say that again. Uh, I think that sometimes as we watch people leave our churches, leave our movements, we have friends and family that leave, we don't believe they are headed towards death. I referenced the, the story of the prodigal son earlier, which is a beautiful example of the gospel. And as these young, this young man decides to say, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. And he leaves. The father never stops waiting. It actually reminds me of the beginning of Romans where God actually says, and he gave them over to the lustful desires of their heart. Church, I've been in youth ministry for a long time. Sometimes as parents, sometimes as friends, we hover people above rock bottom when God has not asked us to. Sometimes we are actually jealous as peers that are in church right now going, my friends get to go live what looks like a full life. And Instagram does not help that. <laughs> They look fulfilled. They look satisfied. They look happy. Yeah, that's the, that's the lie. Do we believe earnestly in the gospel that the gift of God is eternal life? Not one day, but right now. Not when you go to heaven one day, but right now. See, I, uh, there's this, um, anybody watch the Polar Express for coming up to Christmas? Yeah, great. G great film, super stressful. No? <laughs> like, really stressful. I'm like, that, I, I call this Polar Express Christianity some, like sometimes, where it's like the kid gets half his ticket punched, he's not sure if he believes in Santa or not, and then like, doesn't lose the, don't lose the ticket, man. Don't lose the ticket. Every mom in the room is like, seriously, kid, like in your sock? Are you kidding me right now? Just hold on to the ticket. And at the end, you clip the ticket and you get to see Santa Claus and everything's good and the bell rings. It's actually not what we believe. <laughs> we don't believe that Jesus died on the cross 
and rose again so that we can have an encounter with him one day. We actually believe that we can understand him through his word and through his spirit right now. And I say that because I think a lot of us don't have the confidence that what we have is greater than what's out there. We don't have the confidence that because Jesus' death and resurrection, that we don't just get saved from our sins, but that we have eternal life. That we actually hold something, even though it's funny, I mean, you think about how big Richmond Hill is, and you think about how small this room is, like you are the answer to the problems out there because within you is held the gospel of the God of the universe. And I think sometimes out of fear, guilt, and shame, out of insecurity, and out of a, a lie that the world out there has something better than us, that we shy away from being the salt and light that God has made us to be. See, Gen Z is actually not upset about your religious beliefs. I know, I know what you read on Facebook, I get it, I know. What they do, however, critique is our hypocrisy. If we have the corner market on something incredible, if we are consistent in our faith and belief, and if we have the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if that is our very DNA because of, the, because of the God of the universe who died for us, then we have exactly what they are looking for. Exactly what they are looking for. Let me just read this. I don't preach long because I'm a youth pastor. So let me read this in closing, okay? Romans 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Can you receive that this morning? I don't care what you did last night. God's grace is bigger. Because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, not just forgiveness of sins, but also gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, what you cannot do by being a good person, because of the weakness, because it was weakened by our flesh, not because God is bad, but because we can't do that, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin, in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Church, this world needs the spirit of God. This world is crying out for the answer to the brokenness that the world seems to think they can give them. And you have the answer. Let me pray. God, thank you for the gathering of your body and that in this room we have everything we need because we have your spirit and your word. And I pray, God, that you would loosen the chains of those who've been stuck in a rut because of guilt, fear, and shame. God, for us who have lives and jobs that interact with people, God, I pray that you would give us opportunity to speak your gospel into the broken mess of their lives. 
that you would give us just your supernatural wisdom to speak both the truth in love and that your gospel would not be something that we met once, but that we live in every day. I pray it's all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.